three, two, one. This is The Mix Zone by Infront Lab. We chat with sports and innovation leaders from around the globe, talking about everything from the newest technologies to major trends affecting our industry. For those who are joining us for the first time, we're Infront Lab, the innovation branch of Infront Sports and Media. We use technology to improve experiences and create new opportunities in sports and help sports and entertainment organizations by bringing them closer to cutting-edge technologies and startups. We cover all sports-related industries, from data to content and everything in between. Welcome, everyone. This is the first episode of the Mix Zone Live brought to you by Infront Lab. I'm Marav Severe, the head of marketing for the lab, host of this podcast. And I'm extremely excited to introduce everyone to the topic that we have today and our guests and welcome you to our first live stream of the podcast. This topic I find to be incredibly important not only because it is affecting our day-to-day as human beings, but it is affecting our day-to-day within the sports world and everything that we do surrounding sports. Of course, I'm talking about climate change and climate adaptation. So I am excited to welcome to this show Itai Zlotnik. He is the Chief Customer Officer at Tomorrow.io and Sean Carey, the Managing Director of Competition Operations at the U.S. Tennis Association. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Marav. Thanks for having me. Well, before we get into today's topic of conversation, first, uh, I want to get to know you guys, uh, have our viewers and our listeners get to know you a little bit. So, Sean, why don't you start telling us a bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today with the U.S. Tennis Association? Thanks, Mirav. Yes, well, um, as most people can tell from my accent, I'm actually an Aussie working at the U.S. uh, Tennis Association, and I have a big role to play at the US Open, one of the four Grand Slam events um, that are played across the globe. Um, I came from my sport uh, that I played professionally, the game of cricket in Australia. Um, I was head of cricket operations before uh, leaving Australia for this massive country called the United States of America. Um, A great opportunity for me and the family and um, I'm really blessed to be able to work in one of the, the major global sporting events of the world. Um, and and I, I can tell you, working with Ita and the Tomorrow team is, is, is very, very important for, for our operations. What is it like being an Aussie at the US Open? <laughs> That's got to well, be the know, first question. Yeah, you, you know when you're working at the US Open, uh, it truly is a global event. I mean, we have players that come from 80-plus countries. We, we broadcast into 200-plus countries. So as an Aussie at the US Open, you don't kind of feel out of place because there are you, you, you kind of you, your compatriots aren't too far away, and you can go and have um, a nice cold sausage or an Aussie beer or something very close by. So you feel quite at home in a in a global event such as the U.S. Open. Itai, how about yourself? Because you're also not a Native American living in the in the United States. It seems to be a theme on this show today. That's true. Uh, so I'll do a good job and introduce myself first, and then I'll jump to my background. <laughs> If that's fine. Uh, so again, my name is Itai Zlotnik, Chief Customer Officer and Co-Founder of Tomorrow.io. Uh, in short, my team is responsible for managing all of our customers globally. So ensuring our customers have good experience with our product and services. 
Um, Marav, as you mentioned, originally from Israel, I moved to Boston in 2015 to do my MBA at MIT and started Tomorrow.io with my two other co-founders, Ray and Shimon. Um, so far, we have raised more than 200 million. We have more, more than 200 employees globally and working with leading enterprises, including Fortune 500 companies. Um, yeah. Well, Itai, before we get into this discussion about climate adaptation, weather, and the changes that we're experiencing, can you share a bit about what Tomorrow.io does, what your company um, brings and value brings to sports organizations, and what it is that weather intelligence is, which is something that we're going to talk a lot about today? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I'll put actionable insight in the context of climate change and what I think most people don't know, uh, but climate change is all around us. You have supply chain issues in every country, major flight delays, and the danger of extreme weather to humanity. Um, Tomorrow created a platform that helps every industry and decision maker to understand not only what is the expected weather in the immediate future, but what are the recommended actions to take. The customer can make better business decisions by using our recommended actions, which we call insights, as you referenced. Um, so for example, an airline can ask what's the optimal time to schedule departure and arrivals. A sport organization can ask, should we delay the game? If it's hot outside, they need to have enough cold beers or enough hydration station to ensure great fan experience. So that's all about kind of actionable insight. What is you need to do from the result of the forecast? And Sean, what are some of the actionable insights that you pay attention to uh, as the U.S. Tennis Association, specifically at the U.S. Open? Well, as our fans will probably know, um, the U.S. Tennis, uh, the U.S. Open is actually an outside event. Uh, yes, we have two courts where we can close a roof and, and turn it into um, in, turn them into indoor arenas, but we're still classified as an outdoor event. So for us, we have three major stakeholders we need to. To, to be considerate of. The players are number one. Um, so the health and safety of our players um, are really important. And uh, working with Itai's team throughout the tournament, we have to make decisions around if and when we close a roof. Uh, and when we close the roof, is the climate inside the stadium going to equal that um, of what they were playing before we close the roof? So we take into consideration the temperature, the airflow, the wind, um, uh, and and we need to adjust our setting in, inside the stadium to try and replicate as best we can the conditions that they were playing in before we close the roof. Uh, we also need to take serious consideration of our fans. Um, last year we had two major hurricanes slash tornadoes come through the stadium and we need to be well prepared and have our evacuation plans in place in case uh, the storm hits like it did um, the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre. And then, of course, the staff as well. We need to really make sure our staff are safe and, and, and have them in a position to be able to react um, as best we possibly can to the changing conditions. And I'll get more into the hurricane warnings, the tornado warnings, and what it is that you do when this occurs uh, later on. But beforehand, I want to talk a little bit about the technology and uh, tie for you this isn't just, you know, weather forecasts. There's a lot more that goes into it in order to get the relevant insight that you need in order to address situations such as the one that Sean just mentioned, not just tornado and hurricane warnings, flood warnings, but also what may seem like minor details that for athletes and fans who are at the venues mean so much. 
Yeah. So speaking a little bit about the technology, we're innovating in the way we generate weather data in real time, as well as using a deep historical archive in order to make accurate predictions. At tomorrow.io, we not only collect public data like everybody else, but we also create our own proprietary data sets using machine learning models and even launching our satellites to space uh, end of this year. You can think of us really as a SpaceX of the weather. And something just to tap into is like for decades, the technology of weather forecasting was dominated by government agencies and all private weather companies were just repackaging the same public data. So using more accurate global forecasts, we can generate great actionable insights at the tennis court level, very accurate for clients like the US Open, but also can be for Delta Airlines or the NFL. If we're talking about climate change, climate adaptation, the changes that we're seeing in weather patterns these days, why is it becoming increasingly important for sports organizations at large to pay attention to everything that's going around? This isn't just something for brands to talk about sustainability and for governments to talk about, but sports organizations have to be more in the game, uh, sorry for the pun, when it comes to climate change and climate adaptation. Yeah, it's, it's a really great question. And I'll go a little bit into the history. In the past, when sports organizations were preparing for climate change, they were referencing historical data. This is not sufficient or effective anymore. If we think about the US Open back in the 90s, USDA analyzed 100 years worth of weather data. They concluded that the week before and after Labor Day was one of the driest times of the whole year. And this is why the US Open happens to be, you know, the week before and after Labor Day. But guess what? The pattern over the last five to 10 years is vastly different from the last 100 years. As a recent example, just last year, as Sean just said, during the US Open and Labor Day, the state of New York experienced two hurricanes and a tornado. Which is not something that you normally see in the state of New York. So, Sean, take us back to that moment. Uh, when you get these warnings, first of all, what's the first thing that crosses your mind? Um, well, uh, without wanting to turn it into a commercial discussion, we do have obligations to our broadcasters, to sponsors, uh, and our broadcasters not only in America but across the world. So generally when we start talking about um, significant events like a hurricane or tornado, it's all about How's that going to impact our tennis and, and match play? And, and where can we continue to play so to continue to provide a product for our fans and for our broadcasters? So they're, they're the, generally the, the questions we start asking initially. And then it turns to safety. Um, what, what are we going to need to do in case of a significant event? Who do we need to engage with? Law enforcement, first responders, um, even to the, the technology that tomorrow provided us during the moments of <laughs> panic and um, uh, what would seem like panic was what, what are the arterial roads around the U.S. Um, Billie Jean King National Tennis Center looking like? How can we get our fans safely away from the side and back onto a road that's going to get them home um, without any danger or fear? So there are lots of discussions, decisions and teams that we work with that, um, including New York Police Department, um, and, and the like. So to, to help us manage uh, fan safety and their evacuation of those fans in, in case of, of a significant event. Um, and 
from the tech perspective, Itai, what, what does tomorrow provide in this sense? I mean, Sean kind of went through a little bit of how you help, but when tomorrow is in use, what is it that Sean's team at the U.S. Open sees? Yeah, so I want to go back to the way Sean started it, which is what is the impact for us? Because that's the key. What do we need to do as a result of the forecast? because nobody cares what the forecast is. And just to put things a little bit in context, there's some people can understand how crazy was it. There had been more rainfall per hour there than had ever been recorded in New York. And the records go back in like 150 years. They got like four inches of rain or for the European one, more than 100 millimeter in just one hour. Like 100 millimeter considered to be huge storm over one to three days. So Try to just imagine when getting this amount of rain in one hour, what does it mean for event planning team like the US Open? Not only in terms of playability, but spectator safety and transport. And to your question, Mirav, you know, when we think about insights, it's like, okay, insights around deploy emergency vehicles because there is dangerous road condition, equip all shelters, right? Because there is a flood risk, limit public transportation. So you know, Sean and his team had to coordinate with NYPD. There are, there are hundreds of police officers out there that are trying to help, you know, the fan to mm -hmm. safely get home, etc. So it's like a lot of different things. And I think when the viewer start to see like preparing sandbags, roadblocks, etc., you start to ask yourself it's anxious. Like, it makes you why anxious. the hell I am seeing this? Like why? <laughs> And just so the, the listeners can um, picture what we were like, the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre was almost like an island uh, and around us it was um, it was like a moat and, and not only um, for the moment in trying to get fans and players safely away from the site, but how's it going to impact us the next day uh, in terms of what technology that supports the US Open um, needs to be repaired or replaced because of the flooding. We had courts that were uh, three feet underwater uh, and all the wiring and the cabling that supports um, the broadcast, the electronic line calling, all of that's been impacted by water. So we, we have to um, react very quickly and have those mitigation plans in place to get live tennis back on once the weather returns to normal. Yeah. So what does preparation look like? now in 2022 for the U.S. Open? Because as we mentioned, weather patterns have completely shifted over the past couple of years. Itai mentioned that these are the 11 or were the 11 driest days in the U.S. once upon a time. We all know the statistic of uh, the world has heated by two degrees since the Industrial Revolution. So what does preparation look like nowadays, especially when having this technology by your side? Uh, for us, uh, we start working with Etai's team a month out to get a, a feel for the weather patterns that are likely to hit New York over the three-week span of the US Open. Um, but as what happened last year, we were told that we were likely to get a little bit of rainfall in the in the back end <laughs> of the, the second week and, and look what happened. So you, you, can, you can only prepare as much as you can prepare. Um, there are events that happen... And the US Open, for whatever reason, is, is quite special when it comes to unique events. Um, I've worked six US Opens now, and we've had a unique event one way or the other every, every 
every year. So it's very hard to prepare for stuff. You, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, but we certainly, based on history and based on learning, we work with our other vendors. If they are impacted by weather, then we try to work out how we can weatherproof um, their technology and their systems, their wiring, their cabling. Uh, and we can have um, instruments and 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 technology behind the scenes to help us prepare to get through the, the toughest of situations. But sometimes um, live entertainment and live sport is very unpredictable in its nature. And we just need to make sure that we've got um, the support of the teams and the vendors that we use like tomorrow.io um, there to guide us and help us uh, when things get a little bit spicy. And uh, we, we work to the best of our abilities um, to get through the event. and. I'd be very surprised if we have to work through what we worked through in 2021, um, in 2022. I, I like so. that way of putting it, getting spicy. <laughs> yeah. But, but Mirab, I think just to echo Sean's like comment, I think this is what made the relationship so unique and so powerful between the US Open, USDA and Tomorrow.io because both organizations very focus on one objective, how to make this event better every single year, every single year, like the day the tournament finishes, we go and retrospect and start to think how we can make it better. Um, and the second aspect is that really, I think more broadly, when you think about it, we're not just talking about New York City, like this dynamic is all around the world. All major cities will have to confront and adapt to this climate, changing climate, let's call it. They will need to do what, you know, to do in a way that is safe, manageable and efficient. And we just see it every single year. The weather becomes more extreme. In 2018, in the US Open, we had the hottest tournament in like four decades. So whether you call it climate change or changing climate, you need to have system in place to predict weather and shield your organization from the consequences of weather because you can't predict everything. But you need to be prepared, like, you know, having a cybersecurity officer for, you know, cybersecurity at that. You said you at the end of every tournament, you already look back retrospectively. What is it that you learn? What is it that you need to do ahead? Can you share some of these um, lessons that you've learned over the years? Maybe data that you didn't pay attention to in the past that is maybe more important nowadays that maybe three years ago, we wouldn't have paid attention to this specific data point. I I can jump in just for my own ignorancy, the way we look at the US Open day one versus how we look at it today. When we started work together uh, four or five years ago, all that we were thinking about was the match, like how to get it perfect, how to make sure that, you know, when the most famous players in the world, not getting any drop of rain. But as you start to work together, you understand that there is much more than that like the us open scale is like just huge you have like sean correct me here but 500 players from all around the world more than 200 countries the number of employees of like the us open is like 20,000. so you have 20,000 employees 1 million spectators in like less than two weeks and then you start to understand okay there the is magnitude. a match yeah but there is like everything is happening around it like you know make sure that we have enough energy for the food to make sure that we have the most fun experience for the fan to get into the event, like really think broadly about not only the match, 
but everything that is happening around it, the HVAC efficiency, like so many aspects that are super important. Yeah, and for us, um, we've learned so much. I mean, even the, the six years that I've been uh, involved with the US Open, like the simple things of um, when do we close the roof? Like we know a storm is coming, but we don't necessarily know when the rain is going to impact the site. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we used uh, and moved tomorrow in 2018 was pre prior to 2018, we'd been using um, data that came from regional airports. Uh, and LaGuardia, yes, it's it's a very close airport to the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre, but as everyone knows, has been in a summer storm in the US. Um, the storm could be right across the road and it'd be absolutely teeming down. But on the other side of the road, there's no rain. Nothing. It's uh, sunny. And, and it's sunny and it's dry. So we, we needed... Um, technology that would predict weather um, 5, 10, 15, half an hour in advance so that we could prepare ourselves and prepare the site um, to get the best possible outcome for our fans and for our players. So for us, um, we might shut the roof now 10 minutes ahead of time than what we might have done um, five, six years ago, but that's going to maximise the amount of play we have on the court, which then helps the broadcaster, keeps the fans on site, and it keeps the, the revenue model ticking over, which is really important for um, the promotion of the game of tennis in our country because um, American tennis relies on the US Open um, to be able to, to grow and develop the sport in the country. If we're talking about weather adaptation, weather changes on a grander scale when it comes to sports, Itai, what is it sports organizations should be paying attention to? Why is it so important? We started off with this sort of question, but why is it so important that sports organizations really pay attention to what's going on when it comes to weather patterns and the small details that we've been discussing? I think, to be honest, the answer is very simple. Like, given the last few years, we just see that every single year, the weather is different. So the only way to prepare for it is to have the right plans in place. In our world, is we call it insights, which means we bake all of the governance, all of the policy and procedure into our software. But you can't anymore like rely on this 100 years worth of data. The only thing you can, you can do is like understand what are the different scenarios you should be prepared for and then bake it into the system and make sure that you also communicate to the right people. Um, the other part is that I have to say, we're talking today about the US Open, but, and Sean can you know, share from his experience from the cricket world, et cetera, but every sport is so different. Like a NASCAR you know, uh, race team would care about pit stop strategy. Uh, Patriot and Gillette Stadium would care about staffing because if it's Christmas and like severe weather, you know, you might want to think about overstaffing because people aren't just not going to arrive. So it's like, I think the variability of weather and the different use cases and then meshing them together make it very complex. So you, you have to have a system in place. Yeah, and even in the sport of tennis across the different surfaces we play on, grass, hardcore and clay, weather can have such a uh, significant impact and a, and a change in the environment um, as to whether you're playing on the hard court or whether you're playing on clay, which can, clay being um, a natural product, it, it expands and it reduces depend on temperature, depend on moisture, um, and grass is the same. Uh, so um, having the understanding and the 
and the um, predictability of, of weather patterns and climate um, can really have a have a significant impact on on your event, no matter what sport you're playing. Yeah. If we talk about it from the sports perspective as well, there's also a sense of responsibility that we're seeing a lot of different sports organizations take up lately in terms of sustainability and um, lowering CO2 emissions. And Sean, the USTA also has some um, measurements in place that you've taken over the past couple of years to try and help fight this, I don't want to call it a phenomenon of climate change, but fight the changes that we're seeing in these weather patterns. Yeah, we are, and um, uh, there are so many tennis balls, and I, I don't know the number of tennis balls that get played, uh, get used at the US Open, but it, let's just say it's a lot of tennis balls. <laughs> every every group of um, three or four tennis balls comes in a plastic canister, uh, and we are now uh, recycling those canisters and turning them into the, the ball crew uniforms each year. So for all the Wilson tennis ball cans that we, uh, we, we use, we collect them, and then Ralph Laurent, our apparel supplier, um, uses those canisters and turns them into performance uh, fabric, uh, which then our ball, ball kids will wear uh, throughout the US Open, which is um, quite an amazing thought. And you can turn a plastic canister into some performance fabric that um, the ball crew love to wear. The magic of technology. <laughs> yes. Now, just to add to that, I think just a. Uh, you brought a really important point about uh, energy efficiency, etc. Two things just to think about, or two examples. Um, every NFL stadium today have solar panels. So they have to optimize their solar panels to, you know, being the most efi- efficient. And how do you kind of place again between using the solar panels to, you know, the regular grid? Mm-hmm. In the case of the US Open is around... Um, there is a curve, like if you operate the HVAC too late, the amount of energy going into cooling the stadium, et cetera, will be much higher, et cetera. So there are a lot of like small things that people don't think about that go into that from renewable energy to HVAC efficiency and stuff like that, that kind of changing completely the game in terms of like how much energy do we use today? You're mentioning a couple ways that sports organizations and steps that they've already done in terms of sustainability. What else do sports organizations need to do if we're looking ahead to minimize the effects of everything that we're seeing? And you know, maybe as the conversation is going surrounding climate change, uh, slow it down if possible. Yeah, so um, we do have a green um, green committee that that works throughout the U.S. Open and. As Itai mentioned earlier, um, there's close to a million fans that come on site over the span of the three weeks. And um, you can imagine that uh, they consume a lot of food and water and and, and other um, liquids uh, throughout that period of time. So our abilities to be able to um, reclaim the utensils, the, the cutlery, the, the, the cups, the all of those things are, are really important to be able to collect it, reclaim it, and then reuse it uh, so that we do re- reduce our carbon footprint. I think, as Itai said, having um, having energy generating systems uh, through solar, through wind, um, is all really important and, and things that, uh, as a US Open, I know we consider um, how we can reduce our carbon footprint and and reuse as, as much of the material that, that, we, um, that we do use throughout the three weeks. 
Any time, do you have any suggestions for sports organizations? I know tomorrow as a whole has taken a stance in this matter over the past couple of years. Yeah, so we have a huge focus these days on, you know, the buzzword called ESG. Uh, I have to say we are less on the ENDS. We're mostly about climate adaptation, i.e. what system you need to have in place, how can you be more energy efficient, etc. So what are the things you can do in order to adapt to the new climate conditions? So that's kind of in short. And what are some of these things, just for our listeners, uh, that they can do if they're working for sports organizations and they want to undertake that responsibility when it comes to climate adaptation? There are many things. Like, think about groundkeepers. How can you irrigate more efficiently? How you can prepare for hot days? Because spectator expectation is that you'll have the perfect grass. If it's MLS or FIFA, you need to have a very smooth motion of the ball, etc., if it's uh, NFL, no, so much. And then going from the groundkeeper to, you know, HVAC efficiency, most of the stadiums are huge energy consumption. Like in order to cool the event, you need to really understand what's going on outside. Mm-hmm. Now blend into that air quality. We have a great partner over that we're working with to improve air quality. So this is, you know, another factor of climate change that we have to deal with. Um, and then lights, like when do you automatically turn the lights? So there are many small aspects and as we work with organization, we make sure that we customize it and take the most out of you know, what we can to make them more efficient, more green, and really improve the fan experience overall. Sean, Itai, uh, pleasure. If anybody wants to reach out to the, you, can they do that on uh, LinkedIn? Sure, thanks. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. So if anybody wants to reach out to Sean or Itai, you can do so on LinkedIn. Uh, you can follow also Infront Lab on LinkedIn. Obviously, if you're already on our page, just click that follow button. You can listen to any episode of The Mix Zone on your favorite streaming services, whether that be Spotify, Apple Music, Google, um, uh, Amazon nowadays as well. I'm Marav Severe. Thank you for listening in today. Thank you, Itai. Thank you, Sean. And everybody, please pay attention to this topic. It is an increasingly important one that we will be speaking about a lot in the years to come. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thank you. That wraps up this episode of The Mix Zone by Infront Lab. I'm Marav Severe. You can find me and the lab on LinkedIn. Don't hesitate to reach out and chat with our team about sports tech solutions or last night's game. Enjoyed the episode? Let us know your thoughts on the podcast. And don't forget to rate us. We'll see you next time.